hopefully you've had some incredible things that God has done in your life to remind you of his favor and his goodness in the new year. Uh, I am extremely grateful for the season that our church is in. Uh, 68 men ventured down to Woodruff on Friday night, and we got some of the men together in our church, and uh, man, God showed up. It was an incredible time of fellowship and worship. God was at work, and so if you see me posting stuff about 333, uh, you've got about 68 men that kind of forcefully and somewhat in agreement agreed to make this year a year where daily we wake up and go after God. And so you're going to see me posting numbers on my social media account when I am on social media, and that is just a galvanizing reminder and an invitation to everybody in this church that every single day is an opportunity for you and I to run as hard as we can after Jesus, to take up our cross and follow him. And so we're, we're doing our best to get now 331 days of pursuit in after Christ, and I want to invite you on that journey. Uh, Would you maybe make this the year where you go 331 consecutive days of making it not about you and making it all about him? And the the good news is uh, the only way to get 331 in is to get day one in. And so all we got to do and commit to is we're going to do it today. And then by God's grace, we're going to wake up. And even if we have a false start, uh, we're going to then restart and keep going as hard as we can after Jesus. So uh, I just want to encourage and invite you. I was very encouraged by the gathering of men that we had. We're going to do that again next month. And then ladies, it's coming. I promise. We're going to start getting the women together in our church. And then we're going to get water pistols and we're going to charge the gate of hell together this year and watch Jesus do incredible things that we can't imagine. Uh, My name is Pastor Russ. I get to open up God's Word and preach and teach, and I've been so excited uh, to open up this new teaching series in a book that many of you have read and some of you may be familiar with, some of you may be confused by it. It's in the Old Testament, and it's called the Book of Proverbs. Proverbs. We were trying to think of a way to explain this book as we opened up the pages of it together for the next several weeks. And as we were thinking together about the themes and the purpose of the book of Proverbs, we thought that the appropriate title for our church in our setting and time would be this, Proverbs Don't Live Stupid. How many of you know that it is easier to see other people stupid than your own? Anybody experience that? I don't understand why, but if I'm being honest, there are lots of things that I have done when I look at other people doing them, and I can clearly see that from the onset, that was a bad idea. But I also can remember and have enough history to know that there have been times in my life where from the onset of stupid, I didn't know I was on the path of stupid, and I ran down it thinking it was a genius idea. There have been moments in my life where I've woken up the next morning and I thought to myself, self, that was stupid. There have been challenges and mistakes and uh, deficits that I've created in moments of not-so-smart activity that has led to stupidity. Well, Proverbs is a book that is written to give wisdom to those who are foolish. It's a book that is written not so that you would know the character of God, or the uh, poetic books of the Bible that teach us about the work of God and the magnitude of God, this book in particular was written so that you would not live stupid in the face of God. It's written so that you and I would know how to walk justly, how we would know how to walk wisely in our living. 
So I, I want to open it today and jump into chapter 1 with you and uh, give you an introduction to the book of Proverbs. And then for the next four weeks leading up to our Easter season as a church, uh, we're going to try to not live as stupid as we're living right now. Fair enough? Proverbs chapter 1 says this in verse 1. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, David's son, king of Israel. Their purpose is to teach people wisdom and discipline to help them understand the insights of the wise. So in these first two verses, we get an introduction to our book. It gives us insight in verse 1 into the author. The author is a guy named King King Solomon. He precedes a king after God's own heart named King David. Now, we know that King Solomon uh, takes over the throne when he is younger in age, and he's given an opportunity to ask God for anything when it came to his leadership as king over the people of Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, we're told that out of everything this young man could have asked for, he had the wits, or someone whispered in his ear, or he had a mama that had like just done a good job enough to make sure that whenever he got that opportunity, he didn't waste it on a Ferrari. If you were to ask my 10-year-old right now, what is uh, the standard of good living? He would tell you it's a really nice car with a lot of drippiness. He is consumed with the drip. He's all about the drip. Everywhere he goes, he wants to make sure he's dripping. Now, for some of you, see, you're looking confused, because I was confused, too, because when I was growing up, you didn't want to drip on surfaces. <laughs> you didn't want to sit on a surface that had been dripped on. That, that was a gross, d- disgusting thing to do. Like, I don't want to sit in a booth that's been dripped on. But my son wants to be drippy everywhere he goes. So much so that we were at Target on Woodruff Row last night, and they had one of those wet floor signs. And my son has this phone that does not work. He's walking around the church with it right now. It doesn't charge. It doesn't work. He still stares in it like it does work and, like, picks up his bangs. He... Last night wanted to get a, a hoodie that had a smiley face on it because apparently that's in vogue. And so mom said yes. So he's walking around Target with the phone that doesn't work, with the shoes that he promised, white shoes, which I told him were a responsibility because you've got to take care of those things. And he has neglected them so they look pretty ratty and ratchety. But nonetheless, he thinks they're still drippy. So he's got the drippy shoes. He's got the drippy hoodie. He's got the broke phone, which apparently makes him look drippy. And he's walking around Target, and there was a wet floor sign. And I grabbed it, and I said, oh, snap, look. There's so much drip. We got to watch out. We're going to slip. And he got. It is my job as a parent to teach you the roles of godly parenting. Some of which require the humiliation of your children publicly. If you were to ask him. What is it that makes one wise? You know, or what, what is it that you would want when it came to life? He, he, wisdom would not be in the top list. Can't tell him anything. He knows everything. He has already arrived, therefore there's nothing left to learn. A lot of us live foolishly, uh, but it's not because uh, God's intent would be that we would be a fool. It's not that he didn't make us that smart. In fact, the book of Proverbs is not a book for people that have it so that it can distinguish us from those that don't have it. The book of Proverbs is written because you don't have it, and you need it. You see, many of us have a fatalistic attitude. We we believe 
uh, in various things in life that either you have it or you don't. But the beauty of our God is that he's a giver to those who ask. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, If anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives to those freely, those who ask, who gives wisdom to those freely who ask. He's not going to turn you away. So for many of you, let's just be honest, you don't have parents that gave you wisdom on parenting. And so you could be concerned with the fact that you could repeat the foolish patterns that your parents repeated in different ways. Well, the good news is, this book gives wisdom to the parent. For many of you, you don't have uh, family that modeled what healthy family and marriage relationships look like. And so it could discourage you with thinking that all you know is dysfunctional marriage and dysfunctional family. But the good news is, God wrote a book so that he could give you what you perhaps have not experienced in person. And that is wisdom for marriage. Wisdom for how to be a family. Wisdom for relationships. You see, this book invites repeatedly in its text and in its pages the unwise to come to it so that through the work of the Holy Spirit and the reading of the words on this page, you could become wise. So this is an invitation to the have-nots to have. Those who have not wisdom can come to this book and by the work of God have wisdom in it. Biblically speaking, wisdom is not merely something you have or you don't, but it is a gift that God gives. It's a gift that God gives. So what if, uh, from the onset of this book, in verse 1, as we meet a young king who asks for wisdom from God, that leads us to a book of wisdom that now we get to read. What if we too, perhaps young in wisdom, though we are later in years, what would happen if we started by taking God up on a promise that comes in James chapter 1 and ask God to give us wisdom in this book today? So, I know it's weird, I know it's peculiar, but I want to invite you before the end of the service to ask God to give you something in the middle of it. Let's start by asking God to make us wise. So bring your lack of wisdom on parenting, on money, on relationships, and ask God to give you wisdom this month together. Ready? Go. Would you pray? God, make me wise. God, save me from myself. God, give me wisdom that I lack. God, give me understanding to not just know information, but to know wisdom. God, give me wisdom to manage our resources and finances so that we don't continue down the same path of poverty that we've seen, demonstrated, paycheck to paycheck, broke. God, give, give us wisdom, you pray, to have the kind of marriage that none of us have experienced, one that would honor and glorify you, that would bear much fruit, that would begin a godly legacy in a history of marriages that are broken apart and look anything but godly. God, would you, would you give us wisdom? God, when it comes to raising kids who sometimes are extremely difficult, Sometimes I'm just exhausted and tired and I don't know how to do the right thing and I'm scared to death that they're going to remember all the wrong things that I've done. God, would you give me wisdom to be a parent? You, you can come to God and you can bring that need to him and ask for it. God, would you give me wisdom how to deal with and manage time? And so, Father, I pray for those that are humble enough to ask that you would be true to your word and you would show up and move. 
God, give us a humility not just to gain the information about what to do, but give us the understanding that would drive it to a place of application so that our life would be changed from the information that we've gathered. Lord, we need your wisdom, and we ask that you would give it to us in this month so that we could live lives that depend on you and glorify you in ways that we have never seen or potentially believed to be a possibility. It's in the name of Jesus I pray. All God's people said, amen. So Solomon, who comes to God as a young king, unwise, asks God for wisdom, becomes wise, becomes so wise that people from all over the world come to gather and hear from him as a wise king. He was known as the wisest king in the lineage of Israel's lineage in the kingship and what they had. In verse 2, we're told the purpose of the book. The purpose of this book is to teach people wisdom, which will require which a lot of you were in on God give me wisdom prayer, and then you heard the word discipline on the back end. See, a lot of us have a gym membership. That's a penalty you pay for a lot of you for not working out. It's a punishment that reminds you of what you should be doing, but for whatever reason you do not do. My point is a lot of you have information but you do not have the discipline to drive it into action. You've Googled it. You've done the legwork of it. You know the meal plans and the recipes and the things to put in the cupboard. You know the time at which you need to go to bed to get the proper amount of sleep. You know you need to set the gym clothes out by the bed so that when the alarm goes off, you put the clothes on and eat the food that is in the pantry already prepared or in the fridge prepared so that you arrive to the gym to get the healthy habits going in your life so that the action of the idea of I need to get healthy becomes a reality because it's put into some sort of practice. However, Ever, the gathering of information, which is the definition of what most of us know to be wisdom, has not led to the disciplines that are necessary for us to see the transformation that we desire in our life. That's why we need Proverbs. You see, Proverbs are briefly stated, time-tested insights into real living. What is this book? It's a book of wisdom of briefly stated, time-tested insights into real living. Most of these Proverbs are one or two-line sayings, and they are repeated uh, over and over again. You'll see consistent themes. So money comes up multiple times. Relationships come up multiple times. Marriage comes up multiple times. Uh, The life application, life questions come up multiple times in the book. It's like taking a nail and a hammer. And, and, and you take the subject of money, and you tap it in, and you're like, we figured it out. How'd you figure it out? Well, we listened to a Dave Ramsey podcast once. We took one step in the total money makeover, and we, we now know all things that are to know about money. And people look at that, and they're like, the nail's barely in the wood. So you keep reading the Proverbs. You, you keep meditating on the Proverbs. And guess what comes back up? Money. And the nail gets tapped in a little bit further. Now, in arrogance and in true human pride, most of us leave the second iteration and we go, we know all things about all money, which is why we only went to the third step of the Dave Ramsey process and we made it four weeks of actually sticking to the smudget that we made. The smudget is a budget with margin. 
usually created by credit cards that build debt, right? But over time, you become a young head moving into this thing called an old head. And when you become an old head, what you begin to understand is that you don't know as much as you thought that you knew. And there's a whole lot more nail that could go down into the wood and a whole lot more depth to the wood than you anticipated. And so you keep reading the Proverbs. And what happens as you keep reading the Proverbs is that the nail goes deeper. And then over time, you look up and you go, man, in my 20s, I thought I knew everything, but I knew nothing. And now in my 40s, I would be tempted to think if I wasn't wise that I knew everything. But I know now that the roots keep going down deeper because God's wisdom is a living water. And it is not running out of refreshment and life that it continues to give. So these Proverbs, they're briefly stated, time-tested insights into real life. Most of those briefly stated, time-tested insights come from chapter 10 to chapter 29. Okay? I want you to know this about the book because I'm a Bible nerd and I want you to know about it. You ready? From chapters 1 to chapters 9, there's two things that you need to know. It's not the briefly stated like Proverbs that you see that come in chapter 10. Instead, it's 10 speeches from a father to a son. Chapters 1 and chapters 9 records 10 admonishments, 10 encouragements, 10 challenges from a dad looking to their son and desiring that their son would walk in the wisdom that they've gained through failure and grace without them having to walk the path of failure and needing the same kind of grace for the same kind of mistakes that they've made. How many of you in the room do not want your children to repeat your mistakes? Okay. How many of you in the room refuse to listen to your parents who admonished you not to repeat their mistakes? <laughs> this is why we called it Don't Live Stupid. We know what we want to see in the next generation, but we have yet to model it often in our generation. So these Proverbs, what we see are 10 speeches in chapters 1 to 9. And during that time, I'll let you think about whatever you want to with this, there is wisdom being introduced to the son by the father, and it is referred to as lady wisdom, which all the ladies already knew. <laughs> lady wisdom is mentioned in chapters 1, verses 2 to 33. I think it's 22 to 33. It's mentioned in chapter 3 verses 13 to 20. Chapter 8 mentions lady wisdom and chapter 9 mentions lady wisdom. So you've got Proverbs, small, insightful uh, truths for living. Chapter 10 to chapter 29. A father to a son. Chapter 1 to chapter 9 introducing him to this lady named Wisdom in that text. Then you fast forward and you get two extras. One uh, is a chapter attributed to a non-Jewish king that gives insight in chapter 30. And then mama speaks. Because we all know that in every house, no matter how much we want to talk about it, mama's going to speak last. She gets the last and no husband in here wants to admit or elbow, but you, you know what I'm saying. And so chapter 31 takes lady wisdom that's spoken of in the first nine chapters brings it into chapter 31 and says, this is what it looks like in a woman, and this is the kind of woman you should strive to marry, strive to pursue, strive to go after. Are you tracking with me? This is the book of Proverbs. Now, it's interesting that the longest month in our calendar has how many days? How many chapters are in the book of Proverbs? The idea is that this would be a daily axiom, a daily reminder, a daily truth focuser on the need for wisdom in your living. 
And so the invitation, I know some people that have done this their whole life, I've done it, I've, I've spent a year where every single month in rotation, I just go 31 chapters, 31 chapters, over and over again, each month trying to read the 31 chapters of Proverbs. Why? Because I was young and given a lot of responsibility that way outpunted my coverage, and I recognized early that arrogance could get me, that if I wasn't careful, my pride would deceive me, and I would end up walking the path of a fool, and I didn't want to do that. And so I began to read the book of Proverbs, and I'll be honest with you, at times, it was revolutionary and at times I was like why like I don't understand that what's that about like it talks about a uh, where where there is no donkey the stables unclean like what's that about in the KJV it's basically about well with blessing comes responsibility which sometimes means you've got to clean the poop out of a pen because you've been blessed with something to be in the pen Uh, see this is the, the challenge of the Proverbs it's not easily accessible you've got to reflect on it Let me just go ahead and take a tangent there for a second because some of you came in complaining about the poop in your life, but it's all in pointing to the blessing of your life. I know this is a little bit crass, but we're close enough to Woodruff that I think I can get away with it. (laughs) It is in your book. It is in the Bible. It is a proverb that uh, the more blessed your life is, the more complex your life will be. So don't go asking God for a blessed life if you're not ready for a complex life. See, many of you have already asked God to give you a promotion and to give you stuff and to give you more children, to give you a bigger house, to give you a bigger boat, right? You know, every country song you've ever sang. (laughs) But what you've not considered is that with that blessing comes a complexity. With that blessing comes greater responsibility. And there's a greater cost to it than just simply having it. Stuff will not satisfy your soul. Promotion will not satisfy your identity needs to be identified with something that's a rock in your life. At the end of the day, what you and I need most is the blesser, not the blessing that comes from the blesser. And if you don't have the blesser, then what will end up happening in your life is you will get blessed with things that happen to you, and there will come complexities that drift you from the side of God, which will cause misery in your life. So there's a free proverb on the day. Where the stall is empty, I'm going to go look that one back up. Where the stall is empty, there's not anything to clean. But anyway, all right, here's my point. Here's my point. These Psalms, they teach us, or in the Psalms, sorry, the book that comes before this, okay? The Psalms teach us how to pray and how to praise. Okay? But the Proverbs teach us how to walk and live in a Godward way. You're going to need to know how to pray. You're going to need to know how to praise, so God gave you the Psalms. You're going to need to know how to walk and live the Christian life, so God gave you the Proverbs. In the book, you're going to see finance, friendship, dating, stewardship, character development, and much more that will be experienced in this life's journey. So here's what I want you to know. Uh, Proverbs are not merely informational in nature. If you read Proverbs every single day, think on them, maybe because of the Imagio day and what God has given you, there will be a benefit that will come out of it. I have a cousin that doesn't believe in the Lord. She and I have conversations about how to make marriage work. She takes those principles and applies them, even though she doesn't believe in the Lord, and she'll call me. I'll never forget, she called me, and she said, it, it works. Like, li- this listening thing, like, this patient, like, it works. I'm like, yeah, yeah, in general, in general, these things work. But it's not transformational just because you know it. 
And apart from the Holy Spirit rooting you in it, it'll be easy to drift from it. And so, so I want you to understand there's a difference between you getting information and you being wise. We would call it the difference between being book smart and... Which is a way of saying there are a lot of people that know stuff that when you get them in the street, they're dumb as a brick. Like they can tell you a fact about on this boulevard between here and here, what you're going to find are three Starbucks. But they, they know nothing of actual navigation of life. All they got is the information around life. So there's a difference between information and wisdom. You see, we live in an age that's been called the information age. Anybody familiar with that? You heard that moniker? Let me explain why they call it the information age. Prior to 2003... This is coming from Google, so you know it's true. <laughs> Prior from 2003, mankind had generated a total of five exabytes of content in history. Five exabytes of content in history. Now, some of you don't know what an exabyte is. Some of you do. I'm glad you're here. Uh, an exabyte is around one billion gigabytes, from what I understand. So one billion gigabytes, five exabytes of everything that could be known that had been gathered by human history that could be gathered into one place. That was in 2003 as the tech world took off. Dial-up internet went away. I don't know if I want to praise God for it, but I mean, like, if you ever want to know patience, unplug your wired telephone, plug it into the back of your computer, put in that disc that gave you 150 free minutes <laughs> of internet... And then listen for that joyful noise. It's the first time I ever heard speaking in tongues. Just kidding. The internet got faster. Information began to get gathered quicker. And in 2017, Google estimates that we do five exabytes of information every two days. We do not lack information but we lack wisdom and that's why we need the book of proverbs information is not the problem wisdom is the challenge the hebrew word that you're going to see for wisdom in this text is hokmah hokmah now everyone loves a good hebrew lesson but let me make sure you understand why that matters hokmah in hebrew literally means a skill or applied Knowledge, meaning it is not wisdom until it has been applied. It is only information until application. You only believe the parts of the Bible and you only experience the power of the parts of the Bible that you actually practice. It's not enough to give a mental assent that you believe in the Word of God, but we are to, in faith, receive the Word of God. It is in faith through the reception of the Word that leads us to the application of the Word that leads us into the transformation of becoming more like Christ. A lot of you know a lot of things about Jesus, but you don't know Jesus, which brings me to the first girl that I imaginary dated in school. I had a cousin. Her name was Amanda. She was a cheerleader. I didn't date her. I'm not. Some of y'all worried. She had a cheer team, and she would come back, and she would talk about this girl that was, was so charismatic and so beautiful. Her name was Kira. I'd never met her. 
So I get to church, and everybody's talking about their girlfriend. Well, I don't have one, so what am I going to do? Well, I need to make up one. So what are we going to name her? Kira. How are we going to tell a story? Well, my cousin Amanda has cheer practice during youth times at church, so what am I going to do? I'm going to date Kira, who I've never met, never seen, don't know. But through Amanda, I knew enough information to perpetuate the lie. Until one day, a new kid came to youth group that went to the same school as the girl that I had been in a three-month relationship with. <laughs> I was a catfish before a catfish was a catfish. Immediately, even though I knew enough information, they quickly were able to uh, note that there was not a connection of actual relationship. See, many, many of you have been heralded by your peers because of the information you know. Yet you were haunted by a life that continues to struggle because there's a lack of application of that information that has led to a transformation in your life. And you know that in many ways you're still extremely foolish. See, it's, it's not enough to gather the information. Solomon gathered the information, but it was in his application that he became the wise one that people sought after and came from foreign lands to get his uh, presence and wisdom and insight from. So... The idea of wisdom is that it is applied knowledge. It is a skill that is applied. In 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29 to 33, it says this. God gave Solomon very great wisdom and understanding and knowledge as vast as the sands of the seashore. In fact, I mean, we've gone from dating my cousin to reading. It's a big deal, okay? In, in fact, his wisdom exceeded that of all the wise men of the east and the wise men of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, who was, I mean, I wise, right? Y'all know Ethan, the Ezraite. Okay, my, my point. Than anyone else, including Ethan, the Ezraite, and the sons of Mahol, Heman, Calcol, and Darda, which everyone knows is one of the great pillars of wisdom in the world. His fame spread throughout all the surrounding Nations. It spread throughout all the surrounding nations. Here's what I want you to know. Solomon gathered information and God gave him understanding, which led to application, which gave him wisdom. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. It's a process. So here's what I want you to see. There's a difference between you reading this and knowing information and reading this and becoming wise. And my prayer is that you wouldn't settle at, I know some of it, I've memorized some of it, I've thought about some of it, but that you would truly become wise, that it would affect the way that you look at the things and the subjects that it speaks to and change the way that you handle, manage, steward those things that God has given you. So this book is a book of wisdom, not a book of mere information. But the second thing I want you to see in handling this book, and this is a big one, is the Proverbs are probabilities, not promises. This is a hard one to teach. James 1 talks about if you lack wisdom, ask, and God is faithful to give to those who ask. He's not going to turn you away. Okay? That's a promise. But what we see in the book of Proverbs is a uh, list of wise ways to live that will likely lead to good endings. And if God meant that this was a book of promises, then he wouldn't have made a series of books in the middle of your Bible known as wisdom literature. So before, before you take this book as a book of promises, you need to know that there are other books that were written to give it right tension in our world. Do you know what the other two wisdom literature books are in your Bible? It's a book called Job and a book called Ecclesiastes. 
They come around this book of Proverbs because you need to know that in this life, like Job, you can walk and live righteously and still experience grief and heartache and sorrow and defeat. And it doesn't make you godless even when the accusers come around and accuse you of having done something that has put you in the position for God to do this to you. It means that you're living on a broken earth that needs redemption. So you're like, well, that's not good enough. I need certainty. Well, the only thing certain is that those who put their faith in Jesus will be saved and that Jesus will return to call his people home. And throw in taxes if you live in this country. But beyond that, the majority of your life is uncertain. And for those of you that say you're not good with it, let's get uncomfortable enough to ask in the room, how many of you take greater, lesser statistical odds in a lot of your life with a lot of what you do. You don't have certainty with anything in your life. There's not a certainty that when you get into a car with a great safety rating that you're going to get in that car and arrive home safely. Think about the statistical odds of you being in a car wreck, especially with you know some 20-year-old that's more consumed with their TikTok that they're making while they're driving down the road than you in the lane that they're supposed to be driving in. There's a lot of uncertainty. So what do you do? Well, you buckle up. You drive the speed limit. You don't fidget on your phone. Why? Because statistically speaking, it's the best way as an alert driver for you to get from one destination to another. Now, many of you are flipping about the way that you drive. It's been a long time since you've had a wreck, so you need a good scare to get you back into, I'm not going to touch my phone anymore. But my point is, if you want to drive safely, there is a way and an approach that gives you the best way of going about doing that. So when you read this book, it is a book of probabilities, not a book of promises. For instance, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27 says this, Proverbs chapter 10, 27, Fear of the Lord lengthens one's life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. In general, in general, there are some people, though, that deny God for a long time and live a long time on this planet. There are some people that love God for a short time, honor and live for God, and get cancer at 40 and die. Why? Because we live in a broken world. So in general, the fear of the Lord leads to a long life. But many of you have read that as a promise, and then you've gotten angry when you were at the funeral of a young one that loved the Lord. It's a probability. Uh, another one uh, that's very popular, and this one will get me in a lot of trouble, is Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, except for the ones that did, which is why you need the book of Job. Job was known as a righteous man. But his kids were very unrighteous. His kids were out partying and when they died, not honoring and worshiping and singing songs to God. How about Aaron? Aaron was a priest of God, but his sons were absolutely wicked. And they took the privilege of being a son of the priest of God, and they used it to uh, manipulate and begin to take bribes from people and offer dishonorable sacrifices to God. So either there's a probability of investing and sowing godly seed in your kids that it will lead to a right path or God didn't mean that promise for Aaron and didn't mean that promise for Job and doesn't mean that promise for some of you. No, when you raise your kids to be around someone that gives them a faith that can be mimicked, it produces an investment and an example that God will use and work in their life but it is not a guarantee. 
that God will violate their free will and because you were a good mama, make them come back. Are you tracking with me? This book is a book of probabilities, not promises. Let's read some of the text again together. Verse 3, the purpose is to teach people to live disciplined and successful lives, to help them do what is right, just, and fair. These proverbs will give insight to the simple, knowledge and discernment to the young. Let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. There's never a moment where you don't need this. It's just because you know some things, just because you've made some money, just because your marriage made it, just because your kids are godly and they were raised. There's never a moment where you have the opportunity to sit back and go, I've arrived. Because in that moment, your eyes move from wisdom that's been given to you as a gift to wisdom that you think that you've now earned and you now can curate. Let me tell you about a guy that did that. His name was Nebuchadnezzar. Neb had more than anybody in the Bible. God allowed him to have the greatest empire on earth during the time of Daniel. And at one point in time, Nebuchadnezzar walked out and looked at everything that God had allowed him to have. And he thought, I did that. The words didn't even get out of his mouth before he lost his mind. And ended up chewing the cow the grass like the cow and the cud until his hair was as long as the feathers of an eagle and his uh, fingernails as long as that of a bird. So there's never a moment in time where you can say, I've got enough. No. Verse 5, let the wise listen to these proverbs and become even wiser. Let those who understand receive guidance by exploring the meaning of these proverbs and parables and the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord... Okay, so, so how do you get wisdom? Well, James 1 says you asked, you ask, but, James, uh, but Proverbs 1, 7 says here, here's the door. Here's how you get in the door. The fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. There has to be a present, resting fear of God if you're going to live wise. Now, let me briefly explain this to you. Uh, my favorite thing to do as a husband is to hide behind doors when my wife is coming home at night. I hit so much joy that I can barely keep my composure. I have recorded some of these. And my wife will enter in, and uh, the house is suddenly dark. When she drove by and there was light, she came in the driveway. I'm crouched in some crevice or corner, and I'm getting old, so I'm going to eventually get myself in a crevice and corner and get hurt. And I jump out, and I scare her, and I have great joy. This is not an attribute that is like our God. God does not enjoy hiding behind doors and terrorizing his people. When you see the word fear in the Bible in reference to fearing God, which, by the way, is the most commanded posture to God, you're called to fear God more than you're called to love God. You're called to fear God more than you're called to serve God. This is the most frequented call to action in your posture to God. You must fear him. And what it means is not terror, it is reverence. It's reverence. It's you living in a right-sized view of God that keeps you from wandering from the presence of God. Many of you do not have a right-sized view of God, therefore in different seasons and circumstances of life, you wander from God as being your need. But reverent fear keeps a right view of God so you don't drift from him in the face of opposition and challenges. 
Best way I know to explain it is for my bachelor party, we hiked Half Dome in California. And the last bit of the Half Dome hike is a free climb up the side of a mountain with a cable rope and some pieces of wood that have uh, somewhat securely been like nailed into the rock. It's like a 20-year-old that took a philosophy class. They think they know everything, but you're not trusting that's going to hold under much of anything. That was way funner than some of you could pick up on. My point is, <laughs> the point is, we get to the top of Half Dome, and it's like you can see the entire world. And if you're a follower of God in that moment, you, you can't help but be eclipsed by some of the words of the Old Testament that describe the magnitude of the creator behind the creation. That he weighs the mountains on the scales. That the dust of the earth he holds in baskets. That um, you, If you're at Half Dome, if you ever get the joy of doing, being there at sunset and you can see the stars emerge, the stars are like so bright. It's amazing. And the text teaches us that he set them in their place with the the suggestion is the flip of his pinky. That leads you into a moment of going, wow, our God is big. It, it leads you walking away from that experience go, what man, God is worthy of being trusted and, and praised and being drawn near to because of the grace of God. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 23 and 25 says this uh, in closing. Come and listen to my counsel. I'll share my heart with you and make you wise. I called you so often but you wouldn't come. You wouldn't listen. I reached out to you, but you paid. A lot of what's broke in your life came from a warning sign that God tried to give you through godly people around you and through his word, and you ran right by it. Then you shook your fist at God because you got a fool's end. When God's first desire was humility that would lead you to his end in your life. I teach this over and over again to young people especially. God's primary plan for your life is that you would walk humbly before him. But when you in arrogance drift from him, the path that you take of your own device is the path of humiliation. Which in God's plan will lead to repentance and a turning back to home. Many of you have run past God because you wouldn't listen to his word. You didn't listen to his counsel. You took his word to be suggestive instead of authoritative. And as a result, here we are. You ignored my advice and you rejected the correction I offered. Now, 1-7 says the fear of the Lord leads you into understanding. So it's a lack of fear that leads you into this being your reality. And what I want to invite you to in the opening of this series is to become wise. I want to invite you to be wise. I want to invite you down a path of growing in wisdom. And if you lack wisdom, I want to give you good news. And the good news is this. You've been invited to the wisest that there's ever been and to learn from him as your mentor. See, we learn that he's the Savior in the Gospels. We learn that he's unchanging and powerful throughout much of the Old Testament. But in Proverbs, we learn that he can be a mentor. A mentor that makes us wise. A mentor that teaches us how to live life. So I want to invite you over the next several weeks with me as we learn from the wisest mentor we could ever get, the creator, the alpha, and the omega. Do you want to be wise? Then you've got to fear God in a reverential way that causes you to believe that he is right, that you are wrong, that 
his way is true and your way is false when those two ways don't go in the same direction. If you don't have a reading plan, if you're not reading the Bible daily, why not start in Proverbs? Why not read one chapter a day over the next 31 days? And let's see what God does as you meet with him in his word. Our prayer team's here. We'd love to pray with you. You move as the Lord leads. In Jesus' name, amen.